listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning. We're, uh, we're working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, we've reached Acts chapter 14. So uh, if you want to turn to that, we're going to read it. And uh, keep it open because we'll refer to it a few times. If you do want to volunteer, by the way, with Faith Open Enterprise, can you speak to Caroline afterwards? And it's not like a one-off day. It's, uh, it's ongoing voluntary work with us to support uh, 33 residents in our accommodation. So be great. Anything you've got to offer, we'd be interested in. We're putting some training on shortly. So if you'd like to be involved, have a chat with Caroline. She's responsible. I am not responsible. I'm completely not responsible, am I now? I am irresponsible. Right. So we're, uh, we're working our way through Acts. We got to Acts chapter 14. We're not going to jump in straight away because we do need to understand a little bit of the context. Context is always important when we're looking at the Bible. But we are going to read the chapter. I'm, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So apologies for that. That might sound quite long. I don't think any harm has ever come from reading the Word of God. So I'm not expecting anyone to uh, suffer any serious consequences. But we, d- we can't just jump in because it's partway through a story. And it's partway through a story of two men, Barnabas and Saul. Um, and the beginning of this uh, particular story is right at the beginning of Acts chapter 13. They're part of a church in Antioch. And uh, the leaders of that church, prophets and teachers in that church, were together praying and worshipping. And chapter 13, verse 2 says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And they go off initially to Cyprus. And they're teaching about Jesus, and they're seeing people come to faith. And then they go into what is modern-day Turkey. So in the Bible, we read about Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And we pick up the story with these these two guys at a place called Iconium. And I'm going to read it, but the light's not great. My eyesight's failing. So I'm going to do my best. At Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentile and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, 
looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. I am watching you. So... I'll tell you why afterwards. So, as I was, uh, as I was reading this and trying to gather my thoughts, because this is a packed chapter, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff in this chapter. And uh, I think if we tried to go through this verse by verse, we'd be here for a long time, and you'd discover how completely ignorant I am about what on earth was going on in Lystra with this sacrifice. How bizarre is that? But while I was reading it, God began to speak to me about the hallmarks of Saul and Barnabas living out the call of God on their lives. And there are seven. I'm telling you that in advance, so it's going to be really embarrassing if I can't remember one of them partway through, which is highly likely. God, God showed me seven hallmarks. Now, this is not an exclusive or exhaustive list, okay? Because this, this chapter's not about the hallmarks of what it, what it looks like when you're living out the call of God in your life. It's a story about two men living out the call of God in their lives. And in it, I think we find, oh, these, these are indicators that that's what's going on. So the first one 
which is like, it's self-evident, but I'm not a clever bloke. They are really focused on what God has called them to do. Like, they're there to teach people about Jesus. Put your hands in the air. <laughs> Only Shireen. Um, they're really focused on what God has called them to do, to teach people about Jesus, to bring people to faith and start churches. And when they've done that successfully somewhere, they go to the next place and they do it again. And there is nothing that distracts, discourages, or disheartens them. They just get on with what God has given them to do. They are completely focused on it. Now, to be fair to our generation, these guys didn't have smartphones. That's true. You see, our problem is, right in our fingertips, we have got every distraction in the world that you could conceivably imagine and many that you can't. Right there. I wake up every morning. I love the memories thing on Facebook. I wake up every morning, I look at my memories on Facebook. Just, it tells me what I posted on this day last year, two years ago, ten years ago. I just laugh at all the same old jokes. <laughs> <laughs> like I do every time I retell them. That's funny. Look at people's, look at my news feed, like that, like that. Finish with Facebook, check my Scrabble. Oh, Caroline. <laughs> Four straight games in a row she's about to win. Don't challenge an English teacher to play Scrabble. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm not on Tinder. These guys, they are just completely honed in on what God has called them to do. Now, they have a specific call. So that helps, I think. That helps. Maybe you have a specific call of God in your life. Maybe God has told you about something that he wants you to do, that only you can do. I want to encourage you this morning, just tell yourself that story again. I have to tell myself my story regularly because I have very little space for memory in my head. And I kind of, I fall into the trap of thinking, I just drifted here. You know, I'm just here by chance. O occasionally people ask me, like, my story about faith, hope, and enterprise, and it depends what circles I'm in. Because if I'm in non-Christian circles, I tend to say, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I'm only doing this because my friend died, which is partly true. Because if he was still alive, I would not be doing what I'm doing now. But actually, long before Carl became ill, long before I ever started working with him, a man called Julian Adams, who some of you will know, prophesied over me that I would end up working with broken men. And I had to actively pursue that prophetic word over my life. And it's good to remind myself that I do what I do because God called me to it. Tell yourself that story. You didn't just end up where you are. God set you apart. Even if you don't have a specific call of God, you have a general call of God on your life. And the good news is this. The general call of God 
is actually pretty specific. Love him, love other people. That's it. I used to like going into Christian bookshops. When we had Wesley Owen in Derby. I love going in Christian bookshops. I, I dreamt of having, as a kid, I dreamt of having one of those libraries with floor-to-ceiling bookshelves and little ladders on wheels that you could go around. And I, I kid, I don't quite do that, but, you know, Billy, Billy bookcases. I made a start. There are thousands of books. <laughs> Amazon, whoa, that's scary. There are thousands of books about Christian living, and you can look at it and think, well, this is immense. How am I ever going to get my head around all of that? You can look at the Bible and think, man, that's a big book. That takes a while. But you know, when Jesus was asked to sum it up, not just what's written that we read, but he was asked to sum up all the stuff all the rabbis through the centuries had said as well. He said, well, it comes down to this. Love God with everything you have and love other people. We can lose focus on that, can't we? You know, life just takes over. And we can forget, actually, this is what we're here to do. This is what God has called us to do, to love him and to love other people. Everything else, all those other books, all the other stuff in here is context and explanation. Does that make sense? This is why we love God and other people. And this is how we love God and other people. But all we're called to do is love God and other people. Now, one of the weird things this week, I haven't been well, so this might be me and my ill health, or it might be a move of the Spirit. It's hard to say. But... One of the weird things has been, while I've been thinking about this, God has been speaking to me about people who are here this morning. And I'm going to pick up on some other stuff that said, forgive me if I don't reference you, if you've already contributed. But I had this sense this morning, you prayed this, that you've kind of, there is somebody here, you just feel like you've let go. You've lost your focus. Maybe it was a specific call of God on your life. I think that's what you were referring to. That you've, it's not happened. And you've kind of just put it down. And I sense God wants to say to you this morning, very specifically, I have not forgotten you, and I have not changed my mind. And he wants to encourage you this morning, pick it up again. Let's see what can happen. If you don't have a specific call, but you know that life has just started crowding in, pick it up again. Let's see what God can do. So, they are focused. The second thing that stands out in this chapter like a sore thumb is that they face some quite tough times. There is opposition. I mean, we meet that Immediately in this chapter, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds, and they have a plan to stone him, them. <laughs> and then later on, Paul is stoned. Not in the modern contemporary sense in which many of my residents would understand that phrase. 
they face significant opposition. It's the first time I've ever slipped a drugs reference into a preach. And you know, and again, Ray was speaking about this. Becoming a Christian does not mean there are no difficulties or challenges or hardships in your life. It doesn't mean that. In fact, I think quite the opposite is true. I think the decision to follow Christ will lead you into times of challenge and trial and hardship. And the thing is, that's okay. Because God is with you in it. One of the least quoted of the Beatitudes, and I I particularly like the way it is in the ESV, so I'm going to read it to you. But this is Jesus talking about how blessed believers are. And he says, Oh, crikey. I really need to get my eyes tested. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is our model, isn't he? I mean, Jesus came full of grace and love and truth and was rejected and spoken against and tortured and crucified. Paul and Barnabas know what it is to be opposed. They know what it is to go through challenge and hard times. Jesus' brother says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance completes its work to make you holy. We sang a reference in one of our songs. was from Psalm 23. And again, while I was preparing, I just felt God say this to somebody. This is a hard time. You are in a tough place. Hear the words of David in Psalm 23. Even though... I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think God wants to reassure you of this in your challenging time this morning. I am with you, and I will walk through this with you. You see, I think that There are times when the church is in danger of mis-selling Jesus. It's like, and I I don't mean our church specifically, I think this is a general problem in Western culture. We perceive Jesus as the best brand in the marketplace, and we feel this need to advertise him. But the thing about advertising is you only tell part of the truth because you want everyone to buy your product, so you tell them the best bits about it. There are women in my family who have skin problems, eczema and stuff like that. They're, they have to be really careful what soaps and washing powders. And so, I, I've never seen an advert for a washing powder that says, our washing powder makes your clothes the whitest you could imagine. They smell fantastic and your skin will dry up and flake off like sheets of pasta. <laughs> That's not how we advertise stuff, is it? And the danger is we get into this mindset where we want people to buy into the brand of Jesus. So we tell them, come to know Jesus. Life will be great. All your problems will disappear. Come and pray with us. Everything will get better. 
I read that anywhere. I read that anywhere in the Bible. What God promises us is in the midst of our pain and suffering and trial and tribulation, he will be with us. And, and miraculously, we will know peace and joy. And we do that because there is an eternal reward. That's how Jesus was thinking. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So they go around the churches, and one of the things they say to the disciples, ooh, verse 22. Continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Wow. It's a different perspective, isn't it? But it's a great reassurance. Okay, so they are focused. There is opposition. They are bold. They have courage. So when I first read this verse, you think, what's going on here? So in verse 2 and 3, it says, The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. That doesn't make sense. The crowds are being stirred up against them. People are turned. They're violent. There's aggression here, so they stay there, speaking boldly. Why do they stay there? I think they stay there for the new believers because they don't want that opposition and aggression to wipe out the faith of the new believers. So they stay. That's bold. That takes courage. It reminds me, we will have looked at this, but I can't remember who looked at it, so I apologize if you looked at this verse. But when Peter and John are released from prison and they go back to the disciples, the disciples pray. So they've been in prison. They're released. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. Look upon the threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's their prayer. They don't say, take this opposition away. Give us an election so we can change the government. They don't pray for the people in power to become Christians. They pray for boldness. Wow. I'd love to be bold. It looks different to different people, doesn't it? Actually, this takes courage. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite an introverted, shy kind of guy. You wouldn't believe that, would you? But I am. No one in their right mind stands up publicly and, and speaks like this. It's bonkers. This takes courage. Sometimes naming Jesus in a conversation you're having with a friend you've known for a long time takes courage. Walking up to people in the streets and offering to spend some time with them and pray with them, that takes courage. You have to be bold. I've learned so much about this in the last few years because... You, only, you can only be courageous when it's a little bit scary. 
if it's not a little bit scary, it doesn't take courage. So we talked, Ray spoke about this house we've bought. I tell you, five years ago, I didn't have a clue what was going on financially with the charity. It was a bit, it was a bit day-to-day. We've got a 25-year financial plan. This thing is going to outlive me. That's been quite a scary process. <laughs> I don't know what it is for you. I don't know for you what does courage look like, but it doesn't come from inside us. God makes people courageous. Joshua, grieving for Moses, God comes to him again and again. Be strong. Be courageous. Be bold. I am with you. So I think it's a hallmark of people who are living out the call of God in their lives that they are bold. Now, I had this word from the Lord while I was preparing it. So if any of these are wrong, that's okay. But if this is you, be be encouraged by this. I, I believe that somebody here this morning has a choice and you're weighing up two options and it's like it's a big deal, like a kind of new job kind of big deal. And you've been thinking of it like this. There's a safe play and there's a risky play. And I think God wants to reframe that choice for you this morning and say, no, there's a safe play and there's a bold play. It's not like one is right and one is wrong. So often we fall into that trap as Christians, don't we? Oh, God's plan for my life. If I, if I make a slight deviation, I'm lost forever. No, there's not a right or wrong. There's two good choices. One is a safe play. One is a bold play. And I just felt Father God smiling and saying to you, Let's make the bold play. It's going to be so much more fun. That's okay. Is that all right? As a parent, I love watching my children make the bold play because I'm quite risk averse. So my kids amaze me every time. The number of people who came up to me said, I would never let my child ride a motorbike. Like I'm the world's worst parent for saying, go on then, love. (laughs) I tell you, as a father, I delight when my children make the bold play. If they fail, that's okay. We'll pick up the pieces. But it's so much more fun. (laughs) Was that you? (laughs) T. Okay. So, they're focused. There's tough times. They are bold. The Spirit is at work. As they boldly preach the word of grace, the Spirit grants signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They get to Lystra. Paul sees a man who hasn't walked from birth. He says, stand up on your feet. The Spirit is at work. This is a hallmark of people who are living out the call of God. The Spirit is right there with them. Now, I remember thinking, I had one of those light bulb moments a few years ago, because I used to think that the Great Commission at the end of Matthew was Jesus sending the disciples out, like, I'm done now, out you go, get on with it. The Commission, go and do that. And then I had this light bulb moment, that's not what happens at all. The mission 
to fill the earth with people who know and love God has always been God's mission. He started with Adam and Eve, and when they got it wrong, the work of redemption began. He sacrifices an animal, blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins, he wraps them in its skins, and the work begins to fill again the earth with people who know and love God. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to this earth to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins so that we could believe and the earth could be filled with people who know and worship the Father. The promise of the end times is that evil and death and tears are going to disappear and the earth is going to be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. It's his mission, always has been. So he doesn't commission us, out you go. He co-missions us. Let's go. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. So when we are, when we are living out the call of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit is right there with us. So the gifts of the Spirit don't just happen in meetings. They happen out there. I love it when it happens, but I'm not, I'm not especially good at recognizing the opportunities. But I, I had lunch the other week with, a, with a, a guy that I've known for a number of years, and um, he told me something over this lunch that I've never heard him say before. It was like, a, it was just like, wow, I've never heard you say anything like that before. And I just felt the Spirit say, ask him this. And I just asked him a question. And his face lit up. And he started to talk to me about what the future might look like if he responded to that question in a positive way. And I've never heard him talk about his future in a way that contained any sign of hope or belief that it could be better or different. But suddenly, he began to talk to me about rebuilding family relationships, moving to a new place, reestablishing friendships, places he wanted to go in his life, things he wanted. It's like his whole world opened up. Just one question prompted by the Spirit. And then, and then he does things where I have influence and contact with people, but I'm not there and I can't affect. So I had a, I had a text a few weekends ago from a guy who's a, a, been a lifelong heroin addict, and he texted me to say he'd been watching YouTube videos, and he'd, he'd come across this video of someone who'd been a heroin addict and done all kinds of wrong stuff in their lives, but they'd, they'd become a Christian, and their lives had been transformed. And he texted me to say, I'm so excited by this video. This guy is so like me. Why can't this happen to me? So I met him when we had lunch, and he started... He started to talk to me about his past and some of the things he'd done. He said, Kevin, I feel like I've got to talk about the crimes I've committed and the stuff I've done wrong. Now, in my head, I'm thinking, well, of course you do, because you're being convicted of sin. And the Bible tells us to confess our sins. It's a good thing to do. And you found a safe place to do it. And he just he talked to me about something he'd done as a teenager. It was horrible. But he knew he was in a safe place, that, you know, non-judgmental, a safe place. But the Spirit is at work in his life. At the end of the month, I'm taking him to a Christian event. Never done that with a resident ever. But I know he's going to come. 
I know the Spirit's at work. It's one of the hallmarks of living out our call of God. The Spirit is at work. The kingdom is growing. That's another hallmark. Wherever these guys go, people get saved. I'd love to see more of that. I would love to see more. Should we pray? Can we pray about this one? Father, we long to see people come to know Jesus. Lord, we want to live in the calling that you have placed on our lives, and we long to see our friends and our neighbors and our family members and our work colleagues come to know Jesus. (laughs) Lord, we would love to see your kingdom grow. We'd love to see your kingdom come. Oh, Lord, I want you just to picture in your mind's eye someone that you right now can pray for. We say, Lord, you know who we are thinking of. You know who is in our hearts. Will you save them by your grace and mercy? Will you bring them into your family and adopt them as your children for your glory? Amen. Wow. I can't say, I don't see enough of that. I want to see more of that. I'm going to have to keep counting because otherwise I'm going to lose my place. I don't have notes. I only have fingers. Okay, so they're focused. There's opposition. They are bold. The spirit is at work. The kingdom is growing. They strengthen and encourage other believers. So they've, they've started these churches There's been opposition and difficulty. Back they go around the churches on their way back to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. I believe if if we are walking in the call of God, our brothers and sisters will be strengthened and encouraged. That's what this meeting is all about. We gather together. We do worship God. Obviously, that happens. But we gather together to strengthen and encourage and equip one another so that we can walk in the call of God out there for the other six and a half days of the week. It's a lot easier said than done, though, isn't it? Years ago, there used to be a program on TV called Grumpy Old Men. Do any of you, do any of you remember that television program? See, I used to sit and watch that and think, but they're just talking common sense. You haven't heard me rant. (laughs) Criticism and complaint is like my default switch. It is so much easier to criticize other people than it is to encourage and strengthen them. Wouldn't it be great if around our dinner table at lunchtime, we weren't tearing apart the preacher and his dreadful sermon and jokes, And complaining about all the stuff we complain about. But speaking positively and encouraging. Paul says to the Ephesians, Paul says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Except what is useful for building up others. That it may encourage those who listen. Wouldn't the world be a different place if we could live like that? You know, one of the surprises of parenthood has been just how much I love my kids, even when they're in their 20s. No one told me this would happen. 
No, I mean, when they, were, when they were four, five, and six, and I loved them, I thought, well, that's kind of normal. Now they're in their 20s. They, I just passionately love my children. And I had a conversation with one of my daughters this week, and she was tearful because things are tough. And it breaks my heart. And I reflected on it for a day or two because I don't do anything quickly, as you can gather. <laughs> I don't even know what the time is. Sorry if this is going on. I reflected on it for a couple of days, and then I messaged her because I wanted to encourage her faith because it's a, it's a faith call. The thing that she's struggling with, it's a faith call. And I wanted to encourage her. She just messaged me back nice and simple. Love you so much, Dad. I thought, that's pretty good. I'll try it with one of the others. Who are you going to encourage today? See, there has to be a so what, doesn't there? We can't just reel off these things like, oh, that's clever. Who are you going to encourage today? Who can you ring? Who can you text? Who can you send a a message to? Who could you walk up to today and just encourage them, strengthen them, equip them, so that for the rest of the week, they are better able to live out the call of God in their lives. The last thing. So it's not an exhaustive list. It's not exclusive. But the last thing I note, they have a church that is their home. So at the end of this amazing journey, they return to Antioch, where they'd been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. I I firmly believe, I am convinced that God calls us to be part of a local church. And it doesn't matter how big and impressive somebody's ministry is. It doesn't matter if they travel around the world starting other churches. There is a home church where we belong. They were sent from there, They returned there. They were accountable there. So whether we're working with the homeless on the streets of Derby or planting churches in Cambodia, there is a home church that we belong to. Can you be a Christian and not be part of a local church? Yes, you can. Can you walk faithfully according to the teaching of the Bible and not be part of a local church? I don't think so. I'm glad I have that conviction, because otherwise I might have given up. (laughs) I mean that. (laughs) When I was ill, I would have given up. But God calls us to be family. He calls us to be accountable. He calls us to be in a place where we can strengthen and encourage other people, and where sometimes we can receive strength and courage. Paul and Barnabas weren't so up themselves that they thought they didn't need that. Neither should we be. If we are walking according to the call of God in our lives, 
we will see these and other things. But from this chapter, we will be focused. We will know that he is with us when there's tough times. We will know a supernatural boldness. We will know the work of the Spirit. We will see the kingdom grow. We will strengthen and encourage other people. And we will find our home in our local church. Amen. If I pray and Ray closes, are we, am I anything like right? Hold your watch up to me. Am I? Miracles. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we've heard it already this morning, but we do want to say this to you right now. We surrender our lives to you. And we want to live for your glory. Father God, would you grant us a renewed focus, the assurance that you are with us in the hardest of times, boldness to do the things that you have called us to do. We long to see your spirit move amongst the people that we have connection with. We long to see your kingdom grow. We want to be encouragers of our brothers and sisters, and we thank you for a home church where we are loved and accountable. Your plan of salvation is amazing. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.